Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and today we have on Zachary Schlein, the same last name is because he is actually my younger brother. Uh, he is the founder and creator of Filter Off, which has kind of gone global and has been taken up by the BBC and New York Times has written about it and it's kind of blown up since he's launched. Anyway, Zach, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, so tell us for the listeners, just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're about and you know your background up until starting Filter Off. Like, How did that all come about? Yeah. So I'm obviously Eric's brother, younger brother. You can't tell. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm the creator of Filter Off. It's a video speed dating app. I'm going to tell you, no one gives a shit that you're my brother. So I think we should just talk about like you. Because if you weren't that interesting, no one would give a fuck that you're my brother. So. And Filter Off, yeah, I'm happy to share the story. So I've always Please. been into creating um, different projects. And I used to run a dating blog. I was always obsessed with dating apps and like, the idea of two people connecting romantically um, where they may have not known each other before. And I tried a bunch of dating apps, re- did dating app reviews, and I wanted to finally start my own. And when I would be on dating apps, I would often ask, hey, like, would you be cool to FaceTime? And most women would actually say no. And the reason that came about was I would meet them in a, on a date, and like two minutes into the day, I realized it just wasn't a fit. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a waste. Like paying when you're paying for drinks, you have to get there. And then you realize quickly it's not fit. So this is why I would ask to FaceTime. And on occasion, they would say yes. And the women that I FaceTimed with, it was just like a nice, it was great. Like I would know instantly whether it was, uh, whether we vibed or not. And um, decided this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a, video dating app that was video first so you could see if you vibed and 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 did you have an entrepreneurial background before this yeah so i've started a lot of projects like i was sharing so senior of college i started a a website that connected college students with student startups um i also run a paleo muffin company with my mom um which so and then i ran and then i currently run a nonprofit in the mental health space called 18 percent so yeah i'm really into creating um creating community um and now i'm in uh, the dating app scene so you know there's a lot uh, there's that statistic right that about 80 percent of businesses uh don't make it past their first year and you know lots of large companies when they're starting um you know when they're starting a business or they're starting some new project um, there's a pretty high rate of failure. Um, you seem to kind of build things and then a community forms around it rather quickly. So I would imagine there's probably some similar principles that you've used to start filter off the same way that you started uh, your mental health nonprofit. Can you talk, us, yeah. t- talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I guess I want to state that I've had a lot of projects that failed too, right? And I think it's sure. under, and, and looking back at it, I think you have to realize why they failed sometimes. It just was, it isn't a great product. Sometimes just a very difficult problem you're looking to solve. Sometimes it may be a partner issue um, and kind of vision. But I think with 18%, the mental health nonprofit, 
people just really wanted support in the mental health space, like on a peer to peer level. And but so there's, really, but, there, but there are lots of them. So you know, and yeah. yours has gotten out to be one of the largest in the world. I mean, how do you how do you do that with so many other mental health communities out there? Yeah. So a lot. So first of all, it's free. So that decreases a lot of friction, right? When you have sure. an easy entry point, and we also partner with the Crisis Text Line. So by partnering with Crisis Text Line, someone may call. This is how it works. Someone may be in distress. They call the crisis text line. They say, hey, I just had a bad breakup. The crisis text line, their goal is to de-escalate if, you're, if you may actually take your life. So if, if you're just in distress and it's not super, super serious, they'll just refer you to one of their partners. And we're one of the top partners of the crisis text line. So that's really helped. Um, and then I think we were just the right place at the right time. So we got, did get covered. Uh, 18% did get covered by some big publications as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it didn't take off immediately. In the beginning, sure. it was very few people. I shared it with a lot of uh, on a lot of subreddits. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of nurturing in the beginning. Right, and, that, um, and same thing with filter off. Right now, being being a startup, I mean, you have you you know you have an understanding of investing. You have an understanding of how to read account. You know basic financial statements. Mm-hmm. How do you, when it comes to startups, how do you look at capital allocation? Yeah. I mean, in ter- can you go into more detail about what you want me to answer around capital allocation? Just like, how, how do you think about it? Like what's, what's your philosophy on that as a young company where you might know that you're putting money into something and failing a lot? Yeah. So I think it's super important before you take any experiment or put money in that's that could be risky, that may lead to no reward. You have to be careful with those types of risks. So I'll give you an example. When we launched Filter Off, I would have some companies who are like, hey, why don't you advertise on our radio platform? And it would be like uh, like iHeart, like some iHeart Media or sure. something like that. And I was like, that's really risky. Like, I, yeah, it, I may have to spend a significant amount of money. I don't know if it's gonna lead to any users. And those are the risks I'm not willing to take at this moment. We're actually uh, raising capital now, so I'm more willing to take more risks. But um, so that's what I'm asking I, you: how, how do you yeah. decide what you are willing to take risk on? Because if you yeah. don't take any risk, then you're not going to grow. No, as, for sure. As a company. So I, yeah, I, I, so it's a case by case basis in where you're at. So right now we're bootstrapping, right? So the the risks that I'm taking are: let me spend some money um, identifying, for example hitting reporters and finding journalists so like that's a low low spend it just requires my time and if it doesn't work out no big deal so you're basically looking at looking at opportunities where the downside you're not going to lose a lot of money but you still could have a lot of upside exactly and then what happens is right if that works then you put more money into it and that's kind of been our philosophy this whole time and um even like today it's just thinking about do we want to run Facebook ads? And I'm acquiring users for almost nothing, pennies. And I'm holding off on like social ads until we do a raise because we're, we're doing great with press, word of mouth, um, search, SEO. So these are like free opportunities, right? SEO is free. Um, writing content, I write the content. It's free. It just requires my time. So it's... it's um, it's taking a lot of different experiments, understanding what the risk is if they fail, which time can be a risk as well. If it takes too, too much time, 
maybe you should do something else. Um, so these are the, the things that go through my mind when I, when I take any sort of action on any of these sort of projects. And how does that compare to what you've done at 18%? Like, how did you grow that? Was it similar principles? Yeah, it was similar, reaching out, getting a lot of press. Again, hitting Reddit. I, I, I put together a subreddit. I mean, I put together a post on, like, top sub subreddits, which are, like, um, almost topics in Reddit, if any of your viewers aren't familiar. Mm -hmm. And I put together a list of all the mental health ones, and th that blew up. So, yeah, it's slow iterations and then ranking – my business partner is very good at SEO, David Markovich. So we rank for like all the mental health online community. We rank number one. So we get a lot of uh, organic. But in the beginning, again, it's a lot of slow nurturing. Every user was like, yes, we got another user. And then the signups, I couldn't even follow all the conversation in the general channels because it was just, there was too much going on. Yeah. Now you have said that 18% was when you really felt like you could grow a community. What, what mistakes do you feel like you were making before that you learned from that you were able to do 18%? Yeah, I think with 18%, the beauty of it was you have to really listen to your users and shape community based off their users. You have to stay with your North Star. Um, but I think in the past, it's that not even fear or failure, but it's like, let's wait until we get this other feature out before we launch. And I think it's super important to launch and figure out what it is that the users really want. Because it's usually that one thing. And I think the beauty with 18%, they really just want support. That's right. anonymous support. That's it. And now we've grown these like other, these, this ecosystem of different products around our community. And same thing with filter off. It's like, let's launch. And we've pivoted a few times. So of course, correct in real time. Yeah. A hundred percent. Do you, do you notice that a lot? Um, do you, do you, and I'm, do you see companies that are say a lot larger, they might have just more legacy, legacy management. Um, I, I feel, and this is just my bird's eye view. So maybe you have a better view of this, but I feel like older executive teams, that are a little bit more set in their ways, they're still attached to this sort of old school model of doing things or, you know, you spend, you know, $450,000 on some, some project and then you launch it and you may have just wasted your money and you have no idea. Um, mm. do you, do yeah. you see that there's this level, there's this sort of this way of agility that I think a lot of people in your generation are able to do that? Um, some of these more larger and legacy companies could learn from and be more efficient. Yeah. So I think what's well, also unique, I didn't mention, I uh, also work in corporate. So okay. I've seen the startup side and the corporate side. Sure. And, um, and I've seen, I'm not talking about my corporation, but I've seen other companies where oftentimes... And just to be clear, anything that you say doesn't reflect the views or opinions of any organization you work for. That's correct. And... Oftentimes, you'll see corporations where, like, their VPs are the ones making the product roadmap, and they're not actually speaking to listeners, like their users or their customers or audience. So you'll see they're pushing their agenda, and it's like, why are we doing this? And right. they're they're not building out like some sort of like, let's go to market, let's MVP, let's. They're building out oftentimes like full fledged solutions. And the thing is, like, it's important. Like MVPs, I think, overused nowadays. Like it has to be a great 
product or service that you're releasing, mm-hmm. it can't be really subpar, but you don't have to do everything, right? You could just do like one specific niche and if it works, then you could open it up. So I think a lot of times these big corporations are trying to do everything at once and they don't take that that um, more defined approach and again, be a little bit more risk averse but I think what's going against large corporations as well is they already have a lot of these relationships with vendors, which are typically much more costly than if you're like a small company, you could find someone on Upwork. Sure. Like they, they're, they're also thinking about their risk and privacy because if they give um, a vendor something and there's a privacy leak, um, some sort of data breach, something doesn't work out, that could reflect really poorly on the company and then also on their share price. So I, I think it, you have to like look at it both ways, but um, there's a lot of things that major corporations are doing. I don't know. It seems like a cop-out. Like, okay, I'm going to spend you know $100,000 on graphic design where I get something equally as good for 99 bucks. Yeah, yeah. No, so I'm not exactly saying like a graphic designer. Sure. And even some of these agencies are insane how much they charge. I'm yeah. saying though, because I've, like, see, I've seen like you know commercials get made for like three hundred dollars. That oh, would be like twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, in a corporate setting. Yeah. No, I'm just saying like for example, building a website. Sure. I'm just saying like, as a, as a shareholder of of you know some larger companies, if I found out that they were doing those kinds of things, I don't think it's that hard to protect security or, or have those, you know, smaller vendors fit to certain standards. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am, I, it, am I totally wrong about that? Or I, it, I just feel like when companies just say, well, we're trying to protect our privacy, but I feel like it's a cop out of like just a way to be lazy to just not actually figure out how to make it work for one one hundredth of the price. So I'll give you an example, yeah, right? Please. A lot of corporations, if you're a small company, you don't, you just buy a SaaS solution and that's like uh, a vendor, like, Something for the cloud. Oh, wait, let's and, say. and just for the listeners, what what is SaaS? Like software for? as a service. So, for okay, example, yeah. like Zoom. Like everyone's using Zoom, right? They just sure. buy a license to Zoom. A major corporation before they buy a license for any of these solutions, they do like high amounts of risk, security, privacy to procure any of these licenses. And mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, small companies don't typically do that. They have okay. a procurement officer. They buy licenses. Boom. But a large company will make sure they do like a risk assessment, security. And look what happened with Zoom. Like a lot of their emails were leaked, and now there's like, I mean, they're saying they patched it. The CEO gave a response, but a major vendor will typically do a major risk assessment, and they'll say we're not using Zoom. And it's like, well, everyone's using Zoom. Why aren't you using Zoom? And they're like, well, we did the assessment, and they have lots of um, holes in their software, and they're not willing to take the the plunge to fix that. I'm not saying that's what happened, but that's a lot of these larger vendors are doing that type of uh, due diligence before going with any type of vendor or SaaS solution. That's why they like these trusted partners, and these trusted partners sometimes have really high legacy prices, but they already built this relationship, and they just are like – we know nothing bad's going to happen. Do you look at some of these companies and you're like, I can't believe how idiotic they're being run? In what? In large corporations? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's why a lot of large corporations are now, they'll acquire smaller corporations that are uh, more agile, that are, um, yeah, like they don't have as much bureaucracy. A lot of these large corporations have major bureaucracy and you can't really take ownership. It's um, You have like a small piece of the pie. And again, there's some value to that, but I think in the end, it does defeat a lot of innovation and ownership. When you don't have ownership, it's tough. 
Yeah, I mean, do you think though it, it it works just to buy a lot of little companies if you already have a bureaucratic structure to begin with? So it's tough, right? So the only tough thing about buying lots of little companies, oftentimes, think about it after the purchase. Yeah. Then you have to set up your HR system. You have to do integrations. It's so expensive to integrate current data. If there's different systems, a lot of these companies want to be able to understand who their workforce is. Yeah. And like with an emergency like COVID, they want to understand how do we reach these people because we're responsible for them in that. So if you have all these small little companies that you're acquiring, there is a lot of other costs involved after acquisition. Interesting. Do you, do you have, have you, are you able to ever, like, do you feel you're able to help uh, organizations with this stuff? Or do you think this is just kind of like the point of no return when they get this big and bureaucratic? Yeah, I think when you get this big and bureaucratic, like if think- they, cause there are people who run very large companies who listen to the show, like for those specifically, like what advice do you give them if they're like, okay, we have this very big bureaucratic mess. I can't just snap my fingers and make it go away as a CEO. What, what do they do? Yeah. I think there are, are they just are, fucked or, or is there something they can do? Yeah, so I think there are a lot of other solutions out there, right? Okay. So, like, if you have, des- like, working with a design agency and they're charging you, like, an arm and a leg, there are other solutions that have are now available in the marketplace. Like, if you're running Facebook ads and you're with this agency that's charging you, nickeling and diming you every second, yeah, maybe you should consider switching. But it's, yeah, there are opportunities. Um, there, And I think it's... I think it it really comes down to like, are they willing to like security and privacy is very going to be very important to any of these major corporations, but are they willing to look outside of the box and maybe engage with Upwork and do um, some sort of agreement with Upwork where they could procure Upwork uh, contractors for like one twentieth of the price that may be even more talented. So um, yes, there are other solutions out there, and okay. I think a lot of people are just stuck in their ways. How do you how do you find you know what to look for? You know, it's like when people say, "Well, you know, how do you find a good money manager?" Which is an art in and of itself, yeah. because there there tends to be this problem where if you don't know much about investing, it's hard to figure out who's a good money manager. Like you know, if I was at a high school and trying to figure out who's a good baseball player, who's a good football player. I don't fucking know. Like they all seem kind of yeah. good to me. <laughs> so, so how do you? So you know, I look at guys like you know, like I'll look at a guy like Gary, like Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, seems like a nice guy. Seems like you know, you might give me an anxiety attack if I had like lunch with him. But like, kind of cool to hang out with. But like, yeah. I don't know if he's good or not. He he seems kind of good. But all these marketers seem like they know what they're talking about. Yeah. How do you distinguish between who's good at branding and marketing and and being able to apply certain services? And yeah. who's just bullshitting and, and, and yeah. good at flashy shit. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of marketers do bullshit and they're shitty. Yeah. Like when, when, when Gary Vaynerchuk goes, you know, Facebook ads are undervalued the way that Google, you know, Google was 10 years ago. Like, yeah. what, how does he determine that? Like what, yeah. on, what yeah. basis does he figure that out? And then like, just explain to me how, how you even figure out who's just BSing you. Yeah. So one thing that you'll often see is they'll say, hey, I've worked with Nike. And, and what does that really mean? Yeah, that's the thing. You have to ask, like, so what do you actually do in Nike? Yeah. Like, they may say that they've worked with all these corporations, but then you realize their team worked with the corporation. They didn't even do shit. So a lot of it, they'll just take the brands because brands are sexy. And, like, if you work for Facebook, that a, a recruiter will see that instantly on your resume. Like, it's 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 eye-catching. Okay. So you have to say, what did you actually do? And you don't know if they're being honest. So 
and I've gotten pretty good so at can you, get, can you get referrals though from those people? Is that that's the thing? A lot of these referrals could be BS too because they could get. Um, unfortunately, the referral like Jesus. they could be their friends that are also right. like marketers. That are, so what I do, I've gotten very good on Upwork and hiring um, labor that's very high quality. So how do you filter that? Yeah. So my process is I put out a request on Upwork. So let's say you're looking for a developer. Okay. Um, you'll say you're looking for a developer. Um, a WordPress developer, let's say, okay. um, and and then you'll get like in probably three days, you'll probably get three hundred requests, which gets very overwhelming. What you do there, then I you once I get to like three hundred requests, I just pause the job posting on Upwork, okay. so it's hidden. Because once you get too too many requests, it just is way too overwhelming. Right. And then from there, I vet. So I go through the portfolios. Anyone that has a very low reputation, like a 70%, um, I'll just so not the, even... So what's the minimum reputation you would look for on Upwork? So like, um, I would prefer to do like 95% and above, but I'll consider you for like phase one, like 80, 85% and above. Okay. And then what I do is, but in the question, when I make that request, I always ask, please share your portfolio. Because they can say they know WordPress, but you want to see their actual work. Sure. So then what I do is I, I go mean, through I, I know how to paint on a canvas. It doesn't mean that you'd yeah, like my art. For sure. And you see that in resumes too. Someone will say, hey, I know uh, PHP, Rails, uh, JavaScript. And then you're like, okay, can you show me some of the work you've done? They're like, well, I did it in school. And you're like, okay. Right. Like you don't actually know it. You may have done it. Like you've never actually done it as an extracurricular um, or professionally. So, and then I look at their portfolios, and that's the easiest way. Um, you'll easily see whether their work is quality or not. And then what I do is, out of the 300, maybe with the per- low percentages, it goes down to 250. And then from 250, I look through the portfolios. It takes me a long time. Quick glance. If it looks – also, design is important to me. So, like, a full-stack design developer, yeah. design and press. But you could always do it in two independently. But if you're looking for one, just go through all the portfolios quickly archive the ones that are crap and then you're going to have a list of like 30 and then you're going to see their prices if their price is way above your budget you could always ask but then from there it's very easy to then narrow down to like the last 15 and then from there when you get down to like 15 you say hey i'm interested in you this is my project you give um an example of what your project is like full requirements and ask them what's your estimate and then you get an idea of the estimate prices and they'll be some of the people that are just way too pricey because they're just trying to rip you off. They yeah. know you know nothing about web development. Yeah. And then there will be like five that are super solid. And then from that five, just jump on a Skype call with them and just see if you're a good fit. And um, yeah, that's kind of my process for all my projects, um, development, design. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's kind of the process I've always lived by. Inter- interesting. And so t- tell us what, you know, since you are working on filter off now, like tell us what's been going on with that. Yeah. So we got covered, like you said, BBC, New York times, it's taken off. It's global. Um, and is that mostly because of Corona stuff going on? That you know? Yeah. So we launched filter off before COVID happened. Okay. And then when it happened, it took off. I decided, let me run um, 
a press campaign to share like, hey, a lot of people are quarantined, a lot of people are lonely, and they're still dating. They're looking for authentic connection. And that's the challenge with these other dating apps or swipe apps. You don't know if you actually like if it's a good fit. With filter off, it's video first, so you see if you vibe. And it just hit the media really well. And uh, BBC, yeah. So New York Times and it really made us take off. But the product's in a really good place. Um, so we're having the other night we create 2,000 dates, um, which is super cool. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, the, again, the right place at the right time. You're going to see tons of people now trying to do video apps. Um, well, how does it work? Like, can you walk us through, like, what, what it looks like if you sign up for filter off? Yeah. Like, how are sure. you guys different? Because, you know, there's there's other things that do some sort of video. Yeah. So, so a lot of apps, like I was saying, are doing video, but they're doing it like post-match. Yeah. So how, so, how does your app work? Just Yeah. So ahead. how it works is um, in the morning. So you, you sign up, you create your profile. It's available on Android or iOS. Um, you get a text message the morning of your date night. Mm-hmm. And it'll say, hey, are you available to date today? And if you say yes, you're added in you're added into the database and you'll get scheduled dates by filter off and these dates are scheduled to you based off of like your gender interest uh your location your age preference uh and then we have some other match preferences that we're incorporating do you you have like like so like let's say you know you have someone who's into investing or is in finance do they can they get matched with other people in finance if that's something they're looking for yeah so that's a great question so i'm really excited to announce that Filter off is going all event based. So we have these like. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So we have these events, these date nights that happen uh, three days a week, anywhere from one to three days a week, depending on how many people are in your area. And that's like Wednesday, 8 p.m. Uh, you could just join this event in New York City. But then okay. we're adding these like interest based events. Oh, so, cool. for example, yeah. So two options. We have. Um, let me just backtracking this for a second there's a lot of people like if you're in kansas there may not be enough people in your area so we're adding uh and this is again listening to your users a lot of people are sharing with me hey i want to date i'm quarantined so we're adding these date events that are global for if you're quarantined and single so you could join these global events and match with people around the world so it allows these people that don't have enough people around them to be active users on filter off versus Mm -hmm. just chilling on the inactive list until enough people are in the area. So yeah. we're doing that. Cool. So those are filter off events. We're running these weekly events and then we're running these interest events. So interest events could be, for example, are based off your religion, based off your ethnicity, or maybe based off an actual interest like finance or investing. And then yeah. other people can choose to opt into the investing event if that's of an interest to them. So they can meet other singles that are also uh, interested in investing. And then we're doing these private events. So if, if you are interested in starting a private event, you could create one on filter off. There's a fee, but you get, you can basically, we would basically give you the emails of everyone who opted in, how many matches were created. How does the private, how do the private events work? Yeah. So we've been doing so, a lot of private events for matchmakers and event organizers. Got it. So let's say, um, well, well, let me ask you, so I'm, I'm drinking right now, the official, yeah. uh, alcohol of the intelligent investing podcast, um, Jameson whiskey. Yep. Yep. Um, we actually did a uh, Corona virus special with uh, the owner of a uh, face mask company. And we did a t- first tutorial ever in history, Zach, on how to drink whiskey while wearing a face mask. It's never That's been done before. Crazy. So it's on <clears throat> YouTube. You guys could check it out. But let's say, for instance, Jameson wanted mm-hmm. to start a, um, 
a Jameson event, you know, for people yeah. who are really big, uh, whiskey enthusiasts or, or, yep. um, spirit enthusiasts. And that's, that there's a whole community around yep. that. Yep. Can they start a, an event for people yep. who are really into spirits or for barbers or, you know, whatever. Yep. So yeah. So Jameson could actually create their own private event. Okay. So by the way, this, could... this Irish whiskey IPA, this is unbelievable, but go ahead. I just, this is really unbelievable. Stuff. I should have gone a drink too. You should have told me this is a, a drinking podcast. You can do whatever, I, I don't some, care. Shit. You can do whatever tequila you beforehand. So yeah. So I'd give you some if you're here, but you know, we're all yeah. quarantined right now. So Jameson, yeah, they could run their own private event and what that could mean a couple ways. So the Jameson event could be global or it could be tied to a specific city okay. and like a radius. So it could be like making this up, New York City, 300 sure. mile radius. And anyone in the app can see this event and it's up to them to RCP. And they could join the Jameson event to then meet other singles that are also interested in Jameson. And the value for Jameson is it gives their brand an opportunity. I was saying, it gives great brand recognition, right? Yeah. And what you realize, the best companies are now treat, treat themselves as brands. And they really care about their uh, customers. And they're like they're, Which I guess you could call their communities, right? Yeah. It's their community. Exactly. And that's what's so powerful about awesome. what we're doing with Filter Off and events. Because you're basically building – Jameson is building their own community of singles that love Jameson. And again, what they get in return is we give them the emails so they could basically tap back into this community and be like, thanks so much for attending these singles events. We'll let you know more about it. We're going to have other things that may be related for you. So it's just a way to for brands to really tap into their own communities where they may not be able to find them. Like, how are they going to find – how is Jameson going to find singles that like their alcohol? Now, like, is, is, it only, is it only dating – let's say I, I, you know, I'm in Philadelphia, right? So like, if I wanted to find other – uh, value investors in Philadelphia, and I'm not interested in dating other value investors. I yeah. just want to like you know expand my network. Um, is that something you guys do, or is it just strictly dating? Yeah. So right now we're staying really focused on dating. That's okay. not to say we wouldn't be open to other opportunities, licensing opportunities, um, having different rebrands of that. But right now our focus is really dating. We just want to get this nailed. Okay. This right. And if yeah. I and if I'm a brand and I'm hosting an event. Do I get like my logo? Is it like a, yeah. is it, like, it is. Okay. Yeah. So basically so how does happens, that work? Yeah. Yeah. Basically what happens you, and this actually launching these, all events are within filter off or launching within two weeks. Okay. So by, by the way, guys, so for full disclosure, even though Zach's my brother, I have no idea what the answers are to these questions. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally asking him, like, I don't even know this guy. So half the shit he comes up with, I'm like, Oh, I didn't know you were doing that. Like, why didn't you tell me? So I don't know the answers to literally 99.9% of these questions. I think Zach, you can vouch for that. Right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And basically with filter off, you can basically go into the app and you'll scroll in your news feed and you'll see upcoming events. So you'll see your weekly events if you live in New York City or a major hub um, where there's other users of those weekly events. But then you're going to see these interest events. So you may be scrolling and you see, oh, wow, Jameson has an event. April, you see their logo. You click into the event. You see a description of what it's about, other people that love Jameson, and then you RCP. And then what happens is once you RSVP, that evening uh, or whenever the event is, 30 minutes before the event, you get a text message that says, hey, we are confirming that you're joining the Jameson event tonight. And you say, yes, I am. And you're good to go. And then what happens is when the before the event begins, filter off gives you your dates. So mm-hmm. the cool thing with private events is they could actually increase the number of dates. It's more configurable. With regular filter off events, it's up to three dates. 
Um, each date is 90 seconds. It's speed dating. With these private events, they may say, hey, we want to do three minutes up to seven dates, and we'll configure it for you. So mm-hmm. we're really working with our partners to make it the best experience for them and in the end where they could help their – yeah, they get their their audience as well, their community on board with this as well. Interesting. Well, it's pretty exciting. Is there um... – I don't know, anything else you think worth sharing about or talking about while you're on? Um, I, I mean, it's it's cool. I think from, right, you think about this a lot in business. Like, we've been very B2C. Like, and that dating apps traditionally what, and what is just, just, again, for yeah, the listeners of that. Business to consumer okay. versus B2B, which is business to business. Okay. So with filter off and almost every dating app it's all b2b b2c sorry they will basically give you a subscription so you can get more visible on your dating app you'll get more matches on your dating app and that's a traditional model and dating apps make a ton of money it the 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 model works and the cool thing with dating apps yeah. and i think it's good for us is that many people have many dating apps on their phone and we want to become the video dating app in the market so there are these other apps, and we're the innovative one around authentic connection that's video first. How do you differ from, say, like The League, which does um, – I know a lot of finance people use The League, and there is yeah. a video option. I think it's like once a week or it's like every Sunday or something. Yeah. How, how, does, how do you compare with that? Yeah. Um, the League does have the swiping component. They also have a speed dating component. Um, it doesn't take much into account your preferences, and it's basically like one big pool, and you get matched with people. So it's more along the lines of like a chat roulette than a um, – yeah, I mean I don't want to – there's nothing wrong with it. We're just a different model. We're more event-based where your dates are scheduled beforehand. It really feels like you're going on your first date with this person. You see their fun facts before. You have it on your calendar. You have these events on your calendar that are like interest-based events, or maybe um, we're running a, a Chinese event and then also a Southeast Asian event coming up in a couple of weeks. So it's, it, it, I think ours really caters to speed dating um, and actual dating versus like, Yeah, so it's a totally different thing. And our brands are completely different. The league um, uh, brands themselves as like high-end individuals, which is great. Um, Our focus, again, is it's less about who you are, what you look like, and it's more about um, are you up to just meeting people and creating the possibility of building these romantic connections. So our – yeah, it's a different different outlook. Um, Did I answer your question? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dan, do you feel like you guys, I mean, do you, do you always want, I mean, this is probably too much premature to ask this, but do you, do you feel like you would want to be a standalone company or do you feel like, like, you know, say like a company like IAC would be a better home for you? Yeah. So at some point, um, if you were, big, yeah, we're actually doing our first raise right now. So it's exciting that we're speaking, um, with VCs. I don't want to be, and what do you. Uh, for what you're allowed to say, but like, what are you, what are you raising money for? Um, yeah, so we're raising money for marketing, um, to like really the, again, the things that are working really well. We want to amp that up. Mm-hmm. We do want again to paid ads because right now we've been holding off on paid ads, but you have to do paid ads to do be a, a successful large how business. Mu- how, how much does it cost you to acquire a user? Um, right now. So, when we were running paid ads, it was about 
well, men and women were different. It was about $4 a user. Now we're about um, $0.10 cents a user. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you insane. said men and women are different? Yeah. Uh, acquiring women are more expensive. Um, okay. Weirdly, though, our dating app, the percentage is almost even, which I don't think any other dating app can claim that. So um, we're raising money so we can um, really ramp up marketing get into the social ad space, paid marketing, like have subway ads, um, have um, events, like have in-person events. Um, so yeah, I think there's lots of opportunities out there. What's the advantage of doing an in-person event? Isn't that a little bit, isn't it more costly and like, why go there? Yeah, so if you can be online and offline, that's powerful, where you can okay, actually- yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so like having swag where people are like really feeling they're part of the filter off community. They're they see your brand as authentic dating. I don't care how we accomplish that, but if we're focused on people are actually meeting quickly in an efficient manner, like I'm happy. So offline is fine. The cool thing with online though, right? It's it allows you to be scalable. You could run sure. events at like very low prices. When it comes to offline, it's, it's it could potentially be more intimate. When you um, when you said just one thing that just backtrack. Yeah. When you said filter off community, I mean, do you like you know for people that use Tinder? I don't think anyone feels they're part of the Tinder community. Yeah. So what yeah. Do you, does it, are, is that just are you just saying that as a buzzword, or do you really mean that there's a community that gets formed around people who are users of filter off? Yeah. So I think what's special about filter off is when you're a user of filter off you think about the date night like tonight is my night to date on filter off like you think of it as an event and that's a cool experience okay because with any of these other dating apps it's like you could just do it when you're on the toilet like there and you're just swiping you're just a number and sure. again and for us it's we want it to feel like a date like an actual date before the first date. Like you'll have those first date jitters and it's a cool experience. So when I say the community, like we want it to feel like it's on your schedule, like it's part of your life. And um, yeah, and we'll see where it goes. And I think with these, this, the B2B side of things and like our partners, we're going to be able to expand and help them um, be able to tap into their user base that are single, that mm -hmm. are, that so i think yeah from a community aspect it could be really yeah it could just be part of the mainstream yeah and i and i imagine that once the first few filter off weddings start happening you're going to make sure that you document that and, and market it i would say so have like a filter off uh dot com well our website's getfilteroff.com slash success right okay. like all of our successes we'll probably have that eventually now, um, let me ask you another question. So, so match.com, they, you know, they got a lot, I think it was match. No, sorry. It was eHarmony.com. You know, they got a lot of shit for some of the religious undertones and, you know, not catering, um, to the LGBT community. Do you, do yeah. you guys currently, like if, if, if someone's gay or bi or, or lesbian or, you know, whatever yeah. they, re uh, identify as, mm -hmm. do you cater to that? those yeah. communities you do we do yeah it's really cool you can say that you're gay you could say that you're bi um it's really important to us again that we can create authentic romantic connection to anyone anywhere okay. and uh super important to us um based off your gender interest so anything else you that's that's really interesting um so you you, you do cater to the lgbtq uh, community um 
so it looks like you really are customized to a lot of different kinds of groups and communities, and you're only looking to expand that. Um, is there anything else in the works that you'd like to talk about before we uh, finish up? I'd like to wrap it up in a little. Yeah, I think what's unique about what we're doing is um, we built everything in house, and that's yeah. important. like the development. We've done everything back end, front end, design. So we we know the product inside and out. And it may seem like we're doing a lot and being able to cater a lot, but we built this platform and the backend logic and the algorithms we're using where it allows to be flexible. Mm. And I think that's the cool thing about um, Filter Off as well. All right, cool. So if people want to use Filter Off, how do they find out more information or use the app? Yeah. Um, so if you would like to uh, sign up, you can install Filter Off on iPhone, Android. Um, you can learn more about it at getfilteroff.com, and uh, pretty easy to get started. Okay. And then, if people have any questions for you or want to talk to you about you know some of your knowledge around branding and um, just agility with you know bureaucracy, uh, what would be the best way for them to get a get a hold of you? Yeah. So my uh, filter off corporate email. You could use that Zach Z A C H at getfilteroff.com. Okay. And then, Are you active um, on Twitter as well? Yeah, so we're on Twitter, Instagram. We're on all cool. the socials. All right, awesome. Well, Zach, it is a pleasure to have you on, and I uh, wish you the best. Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much, Eric. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.